0: And we're back with Hawks and Handsaws. I'm Eric, and this is Brad over here, my co-host. Um, so this week, hello. oh, sorry, yes, there's
1: Brad. Yeah, I said, Those is hello. just to mess with your rhythm. Yeah, so hello.
0: <laughs> thank you, thank you for that. Appreciate that.
2: You're welcome.
0: <laughs> 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 so, um, we're this, one, this is going to be an interesting week We're going to see how this goes And as far as topic for the trivia that Brad has for me I have no idea where he's coming from And also, going back at Brad He has no idea what the heck we're going to be talking about today So I can just take this wherever the heck I want to And he's not going to know So we'll see how this goes well, I mean, you're not going to know what he's giving me this weird look. He's not going to know
1: what I to like like I should have thought this. bring it more. up. I didn't realize. Yeah. Like you're in control. I, I had this in my mind. I am
0: in control. I, no, no, I no. forgot. <laughs> yeah. <Crap. laughs> okay. All right. So, um, I, I kind of had in my mind, um, recently, actually, It's been a while since it's been in my mind, but you remember the old phrase (laughs) um, sticks and stones may never, or wait, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me. Remember that? Break my bones. Okay, for sure. Break my bones. The words will never hurt me. Yeah, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. There we go. It's that time of night. You can always tell. We've talked about recording this at different times, but it never worked. So our audience is just going to have to deal with the fact that I can't speak well at this time of day. So Sorry. here we go. So you know that, that nice little rhyme thing. How true is that, do you think?
1: I don't think it's true at all. Why not? Why not? I mean... I feel like in the information age that we live in, uh, sticks and stones are not the things lobbed at me most often. It's, it's usually words <laughs> and ideas and it hurt sometimes, right? Like I've never, that's not true. I have very infrequently had to physically defend myself. Um, so yeah, words, I think hurt a lot. And, uh, I guess I want to break down harm a little bit. So there are people who are trying to attack you with words. Okay. Uh, And I think that's obvious, like bullying or whatever. Um, I think there are things that are just harmful to read or to hear uh, that don't lift you up, but kind of bring you down. So just the general ideologies of pessimism or, Um, defeatism whatever and then there's things that aren't directed towards you necessarily but cause doubt or fear or whatever just kind of generally. and i think that kind of undermines your belief system as well of whatever that may be um i think all of those are different ways that words can hurt you that people need to consider
0: so interesting so words are harmful, you're saying, in many okay. regards, and mm, more so it maybe in this day and age than sticks and stones or other sundry weapons. Because well, I don't know, last week we talked about uh guns and there's a lot of gun violence going on, but still, it's I hope we never get to the point where it's like We shrug off gun violence. It's still somewhat shocking if more regular, right? That we have um, gun violence. Words, on the other hand, happen all the time. Every second, every day, people are getting words, as you said, lobbed at them. Um, (laughs) Oftentimes not necessarily for uh, good uplifting or edifying um, uses. So, here's the thing: we live in a country with "quote unquote" the freedom of speech. Sure. How ought or ought not to, um, those harmful words to be moderated? <laughs>
1: Feel like this is supposed to be one of our light weeks, Eric. I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, you know, like we don't have to spend a long time on this one. Oh, okay. Trying to, um, how do you regulate it? Well,
0: yep. Uh, ought it to be regulated, or ought it ought not it to be, be regulated?
1: So the freedom of speech, I think, is a it. It has restrictions to it. A lot of people try to make it not have restrictions but that's not how that works. Um, I I think freedom of speech extends to expressing your opinion to in in such a way that you see fit that people are not forced to listen to you necessarily, but you're you're allowed to express it, but you cannot force an audience necessarily, but you can express it and you can also express it in such a way that is not directly threatening people's safety.
0: What do you mean? It's
1: like, you can say the government is terrible. I hate the president. I hate the whatever. I, I, hate, it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Here's all of my expletives in a row. With your picture next to that, right? I don't. That's all fine. As soon as it's like, we should go kill that individual. That is a line that's been crossed because now you're a threatening action that is, of course, illegal. But you can have as strong of an opinion about anybody as you want until you cross into trying to incite action that is illegal.
0: Mm, okay. So are you saying then that it's direct threat of violence?
1: Uh, I, I said that, then I, I mean, a more broad a direct threat or trying to get other people to break the law.
2: Now okay. there are exceptions okay. to this.
1: Um, there are definitely exceptions to this. There are things that you can do that are against the law that are, this is where it gets all murky, right? Like, let's go to the the civil rights movement. A lot of the things they did in in that movement were peaceful and were against the law, but they were protesting the laws that they were breaking. Right? So, a great example is Rosa Parks. She sat in the front with us as opposed to the back with us. Right? That was against the law or the statute or the whatever. Right? But she was not actively harming anyone, she was not breaking a quote, an unquote big law, but she was protesting the silliness of that particular law by breaking it. And that was her form of speech by doing that type of thing. So like for people who are um, pro whatever, I, I think being on that boundary of, yes, you're technically breaking the law, but you're doing it to prove a point to express your opinion about the unfairness of something, I think that usually ends up in a challenge in the court somewhere. And typically the courts side with the expression of speech. So let's go to one that I don't agree with. Um, Somebody burned the American flag on the steps of the Capitol as part of their speech, right? And that got to the Supreme Court. Is that allowed or not by free speech? The Supreme Court said, yes, it is. You can burn the flag as part of your expression of whatever. Um, At the time, it was against uh, like a a lost statute concerning the flag and care of the flag, whatever, there's a statute there, like the flag must be treated in such a way, whatever. So that law was overturned because it was this particular individual's speech. And uh, I agree with that. I agree with letting that person do that. Now, can you set fire to things in state buildings? That's a different thing. Um, But like... If you want to do it on your own private property or like in a public demonstration, like that, that's again, it gets murky there. But yeah, I think all speech should be protected as long as it's not inciting people to breaking large laws, such as violent crimes, um, robbery, burglary, treason. Those are all bad things. You shouldn't be inciting people to do those things.
0: Okay. Interesting. So I feel like with that idea, uh, some of these these things that you've expressed here, inciting people to do illegal activities, I think that could get very murky very quickly. Yes. Especially if you can say, I hate the president. Uh, Aren't we... Isn't that a slippery slope toward treason? (laughs) Essentially.
2: uh,
1: I I am against the slippery slope mentality.
0: Okay. Actually,
1: I don't believe in that as a concept anymore. That was taught to me. I don't believe it.
0: Oh, a slippery slope is a logical fallacy. It's not. Yeah. But go ahead.
1: So I... I don't agree it's a slippery slope. Um, I have disliked many people in my life and, uh, that was fine. (laughs) You know, And I could express that without becoming treasonous. Uh, in the last gamut of presidents, um, I have not been a fan of them as like a general rule, (laughs) but, uh, I, there's been moments that were better than others for sure, but like when, when I see people, when I see people carrying signs that say, you know, expletive, this person or this organization, whether that's, you know, the police, the, the left, the, the, the whatever, like I don't assume that person holding that sign is going to become violent or become treasonous you know what I mean? Like there's definitely a line there. Where is it? The line's there when it gets crossed. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, like I'm holding the sign peacefully protesting, yelling my little heart out in my megaphone about my cause. That's one thing. I am now dropping my sign to attack somebody or break into a building or I scratch out my sign and say, let's go kill everybody. Like, <laughs> those are lines that have been crossed again. Right. Like, yeah, but peacefully protesting and gathering is hallmark of the first amendment. And you can do that, but whatever. And that's great.
0: Sure. Yeah. It just seems interesting. Uh, lately uh, I have observed a trend for people, uh, extreme reactions to people's comments, um, and that have sometimes incited violence back toward them, even though, (laughs) you know, they did not specifically say violent things, but they could have been racist things or, um, that nature. And so I was wondering then, Shoot, where does this line get drawn? When does it become a situation where, if you say racist or bigoted or whatever types of comments, that you are then inciting violence? It seems question. a much more common trend these days.
1: Okay. I read a YouTube comment, the source of all wisdom <laughs> and uh, other things. I read a those YouTube too. Comment. Um, From an international person, okay, from somebody who claimed to be international outside of the United States, and uh, this was regarding um, uh, a ruling about guns, and the person said, I don't think you Americans see it, but you're setting a terrible precedent for the person who points a gun first is automatically the bad guy and anything done to him is allowed. Like, what a terrible precedent that sets. And I was thinking about that, and I'm like, I firmly disagree. And so now I was thinking about how would I reply to this YouTube comment while I was taking a shower this morning if I was to express my opinion? And I was talking, like going through the mental gymnastics in my head, but how do I communicate this in a way that, you know, somebody who doesn't have a gun, like more guns than people in their country would understand. It's like, well, let's remove guns from the situation. If a person has a knife and pulls that knife out and brandishes that knife at you first, are you then allowed to reciprocate with the knife? And I was kind of trying to figure out how to phrase that. Then I was anticipating a very inflammatory reaction from this person. Then I was anticipating me responding to that inflammatory reaction with, this is why I don't <laughs> make comments on YouTube. You know, like I had this whole conversation in my head, right? Assuming what you're talking about, this this extreme reaction. And uh, I think it comes from a couple places. I think it comes from, there's so much information now that people can, selectively pick what reinforces their worldview and that's exclusively what they hear about any given topic which is kind of cool and it's also kind of terrible um because news is a lot more scarce 50 years ago but sure now you can get news spun any way you want it, and that's
2: it's cool and uh <laughs> that's cool <laughs> you can get fake news
1: right you, you can just read the onion and that's all the music yeah right
2: Pretty, pretty and cool.
0: people still believe it.
1: And, and, right? And, and so like, uh, this is a family-friendly podcast. You can't talk about that Onion article. But um, the, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to mention, the, uh, the opinions of people have become more extreme. Second thing, I think we give everybody that we read on the internet, like whoever they are, I think we give them too much credit.
2: Because we have mm. no
1: idea who they are. Um, when I talk to you, I've known you all my life. You've known me for all of my life. Like, pretty, pretty, pretty cool, that whole dynamic there. We, we understand where we're coming from. And we still surprise each other, of course. But, like, we definitely have a relationship here. On the internet, we always assume there's something. But I almost guarantee you that they're not that thing. Right? That person who said that inflammatory comment, that could have been a seven-year-old kid. That could have been a Russian hacker. That could have been some guy at a gas station, like in Australia, who accidentally clicked off the video that he was on, went to a different video and then wrote the comment there. And so he wasn't even talking about what you saw. He was talking about his previous video, but you know, whatever. Cause he was distracted. Cause it was raining. It's Australia, who, who knows? Like you have no concept of who this individual is. And yet we assume that they're peers. At least I do. I guess I shouldn't generalize it, but we assume that they're (laughs) accused, that they're educated, that they're making a rational comment or something like that for a lot of these. And I think that that's a problem because if we met these people in real life, we probably wouldn't engage with them. You know, like if we were in a room with them, we probably wouldn't walk over and say, hey, what's your opinion on this thing I just watched? That would never happen. Yet we invite it into our house, into our lives to react to it. And so, again, that's why reactions are getting bigger and more extreme. And then lastly, I think only the people with extreme opinions feel comfortable in these arenas. I don't feel comfortable. I don't make YouTube comments. You don't make YouTube comments. You don't write Twitter (laughs) posts.
0: What do you mean I don't make YouTube comments?
1: How do you know? I just go to your profile and look at all your comments.
0: <laughs> you went to my profile. <laughs>
1: I mean, you can. I just made, an I made one comment once. On my video. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. You're
0: welcome. Anytime.
1: <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I think most rational people don't feel comfortable engaging in this. And so it's only the crazy people with crazy opinions making comments. And yes, I'm making huge generalizations here. And I feel good
0: doing it. That's funny. You know, I think this opened up a whole other can of worms. And I really like what you established that it's a type of people that engages online, that likes to say things and get their opinion out there. And you and I are not those people. I don't know that we are in, you know, the norm in, in that regard. Um, But it, it does take a certain kind of person who thinks their opinion is valid enough to share with the world. I don't know that they view it that way, though. Yes. Because you have to understand that this opinion is going out to the world, <laughs> to every person that will be watching this video, reading these comments, or going on this Twitter thread, or whatever. It's very easy to get to real, you know, you're sitting in your, your room or on your phone or whatever, and it's a very isolated experience and you don't see the audience that you're writing to, which I think makes the experience a completely different one in sharing your opinion. So while these are maybe a lot of them outgoing people, I don't know that everybody is. I think a lot of these people are some people who don't ever express opinions except online. Sure. And there it's a weird, I think almost an equalizer to be able to communicate online. Um, opinions that never would have gotten expressed or suddenly expressed because people who never had voices in the real world now have voices. And yeah, it's it's a strange world that we live in where real life voices come from a certain type of people. And you know, those types of people I think still have voices online, but then you have other people who didn't have real life voices, who now have voices, read the world over, and sometimes they get validated. Yep. You get YouTubers, people who literally make stuff out of their garage. And become world famous overnight. (laughs) This is crazy stuff. It is crazy
1: stuff. And like, I want to go back to that YouTuber idea, which you just mentioned. 50 years ago, if you were hitting millions of people, you were a major news organization. You were the president. You were like a a big deal that had a lot of checks and balances or whatever. But to your point, um, I think... The favorite YouTuber to pick on is probably Markiplier. He's got some (laughs) stupid number of subscribers. He makes really stupid videos. Um, His audience is huge. Like that one man playing video games on his computer and recording his reactions to the video game he's playing reaches millions and millions. I think it's hundreds of millions of people that he reaches. Can you imagine your voice, Eric? Reaching hundreds of millions of people. Like this podcast <laughs> that we're talking on right now, this getting to hundreds of millions of listeners, wouldn't that change how you say things?
0: Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. I think this aware. would be a much more scripted podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but at the same time, we're publishing this online. Yep. To the world, to your point. Yep. And yes, we might have only one listener right now and it's you, but 10 years from now, somebody might find this Markiplier might find it. It'd be like, this podcast really spoke to me. You all should listen to it. He plugs it a couple times. All of a sudden our audience becomes his audience, right? Like
0: and everything idiots
1: that we too.
2: said oh, to man. three people <laughs> or
1: whatever online, um, now goes out to millions of people. Like it, you never know on Minecraft.
0: So, and our and our podcast episode about guns and gun laws was threatening their right to bear arms and threatening their way of life and therefore threatening their life because without guns I'm now exposed and so my life is endangered because of what your podcast expressed and
2: Absolutely. Anyway.
1: And did you also <laughs> know that they weren't hard enough on guns? Like they pretty much said guns were fine, and we should. They encouraged military style guns in that podcast, and so obviously they're endangering us to putting more guns. In. Yeah, both we're sides doomed. are angry about that particular one.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're doomed.
1: Still not sure if I'm going to publish that one. So we might be talking about a podcast episode that you'll never hear, dear listener. <laughs>
0: see it's already already uh we've got maybe we should do an episode sometime about uh um censorship along these lines yeah i like that oh that'd be that'd be good anyway very interesting words to me and their impact on people um it's pretty crazy i i really hate that so much violence is incited or hatred is in is incited because of what people say. But I also teach quite vehemently. What?
1: No, I guess it's not. Isn't the majority of violence caused by words?
0: I don't know. I mean, ideas are expressed somewhere. It has to start somewhere, right? Sure. I suppose. (laughs) I like your land. I'm going to take it over. I don't know. Maybe the idea isn't vocalized. I don't know that it has to be vocalized. People well, just invade. Uh, Take Russia for example. <laughs> why did
1: they invade? Though they invaded because they were told to via words, right? Like,
0: well, I mean, the, commands were given, sure.
1: Yeah, Putin's like military. You go in there. Putin wasn't down there himself, like minding it, right? Like. <laughs> just pointing towards Ukraine. like I think there were definitely words there, but the words didn't start with a command. They started with an idea. Somebody said somewhere in Russia, you know what, that Ukraine, we should make that Russia. Either again or still or whatever the idea was, that was said somewhere. And then somebody said, that's a good idea. I'm writing that down. And then they started making battle plans and they started making like tactical decisions and they had discussions about it. When, how, like this was all discussed at some point, which I think the violence came after many words were
0: spoken about the violence. Yeah, very possible. A lot of violence spoken, but they were explicitly words about violence. So I don't know.
1: Well, maybe it started off with, like, like you said, I want your land. Is that is that violent? Or is that an expression of I just want your stuff?
0: (laughs) And then we're in our slippery slope, Brad. Doesn't exist. Don't believe (laughs) it. Um I don't know. Slippery slope is kind of a weird concept. I, I understand that it is a logical fallacy, that it's not a necessity logic, you know, has to do with the things that make sense. Um, you, you've got the things that, you know, necessarily have to be, or via a bunch of different examples will likely be. And slippery slopes doesn't necessarily follow either of those, um, thought processes or, you know, Paradigms or whatever I'm trying to say. But it's it's an attempt to, I think, an attempt to foresee the future, to see what a cause-effect relationship might yield. Because, like it or not, cause-effect relationships branch. There are uh, results as um, that come about because of decisions. And so people... Try to determine, oh, this is what might happen because of this. And this is my what might happen because of this. Is the margin for error greater the more steps along the road that you take? Sure, sure. But I also don't think I should fault people necessarily for the attempt, the exploration. Where might this lead? Because if we don't explore where things will lead, then we'll be blindsided <laughs> by the time we're there. So... Does a slippery slope exist? Uh, Well, yeah, people use the slippery slope mentality all the time. Um, Sure. And I think what we use slippery slope for is an unrealistic uh, belief or certainty that that scenario will come to pass, right? Rather than this is possible and I'm concerned about that.
1: Well, it's like, uh, it, I think the greatest example in our edu- education is like um, drugs, right? Growing up?
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Like it's a slippery slope. Like, oh, if you start with, you know, cigarettes, then you'll be smoking marijuana. Then you'll be, you know, doing, I don't know, the stages of this slippery slope, as they described all the drugs that I could possibly do in um, the DARE program. Like, oh, what was that? You write that down. Cocaine's a thing? yeah. Oh. I didn't know that before. Um, anyway, like, <laughs> if, if you smoke once, then you're going to be ending up doing cocaine, right? Like that—that's the slippery slope. Whatever, like, and there's lots of steps there, and I forgot the steps. But that—that's the thing. And I'm like, well, I mean, no, I I can just jump from zero to cocaine just fine, right? Like, there's, I don't have to take the slope route at all. um <laughs> And after everything there's a decision to be made like after smoking one time like a typical tobacco cigarette as far as i understand it you are not addicted to nicotine after that experience your first time smoking is typically a very negative one from all of the media i've consumed that first time for stupid kids is on one like okay is that a slippery slope I, i don't i don't know and it doesn't seem like it, and uh, I know people who smoke, and that's all they do. I know people who smoke marijuana, and that's all they do. Um, I know people who do like edible versions of marijuana for whatever reason they want to do that. I know people who've done just there's just drugs, that's all they do, but they've never smoked because smoking's unhealthy. But I'll do, you know, heroin. But like you know, like it's everybody has like their own rules and restrictions to things now. I think there is something that exists for a personal slippery slip. Potentially. Okay. If I can explore this. so Please. I, I think, generally speaking, is smoking a gateway to more drugs? I, I really don't think so. Um, if you make the thing cause and effect too small, then, of course, it... it it doesn't make any sense anymore. Like, you know how to stop people from dying from smoky related stuff? Well, people never bought cigarettes. Mission accomplished, right? It's like, well, that's just simplistic. Well, it's not, buying cigarettes isn't a slippery slope, it's just a literal cause-effect. <laughs> if you have cigarettes in your possession, you're obviously more likely to smoke them than if you didn't have cigarettes to smoke because whatever. Um, so, access to things, I don't think, is part of this equation. But for a personal, slippery slope like I know myself pretty well and I know patterns in my life that I follow and uh like things I'm predisposed to do that are negative for me personally sure um I'm going to call it the when to talk about sleep think sleep is the best one to talk about. Um, I want to get up earlier than I do. I always have, except for when I was in high school, because I did, I actually got up when I was supposed to in high school. Um, but since college and beyond, I've always slept in longer than I wanted to. And that resulted in me not feeling good because I stayed up late the night before. And I stayed up late the night before because I stayed up, I wasn't feeling good during the day at night, I'm starting to get some of that free time and starting to have more enjoyment for myself. So I stay up later and I feel worse the next day. And so then I, it's a vicious cycle, kind of a slippery slope, vicious cycle. They're kind of related um, for me personally. Now, a lot of people don't have that problem and I wouldn't call it. That's a slippery slope. If you stay up late, then you're going to stay up later the next night because you know, that's a slippery, well, that's for me. It's that way but maybe not for you, maybe not for that person, but it's personally, potentially something that can be construed as just a pretty slope.
0: Sure. Maybe. But I mean, I think with all things, there are patterns in human behavior. No man is I mean, as much as we like to think that we are so unique and the first iteration of this type of person that is ever, been on the face of the earth i mean the earth has seen quite a few combinations of people and lots of patterns of behavior have (laughs) have come (laughs) about Uh, are you the only person brad with that particular problem yeah probably not (laughs) are you (laughs) are you the the exception to the rule yeah probably not (laughs) so can we make assumptions and generalizations based on human behavior and what happens when certain things happen, we might be able to make some general ideas about waking up late makes you go to sleep later and going to sleep later makes you wake up late because people need sleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I don't think I described a slippery slope thinking about it now without talking. <laughs> I think it was
0: a vicious cycle. <laughs> Not yeah actually, it's a vicious slippery slope, so slippery slope right it's like an increase making things yeah. worse because you, now that you, you're you'll never sleep
1: again you
0: know you ne- <laughs> yeah <laughs> you you got the taste of staying up late so you'll want to stay up later the next time and then uh you sleep during oh. the day and wake during night and then you'll grow fangs and then you'll suck people's blood and sleep in a coffin then you'll do cocaine. <laughs> and then you'll do cocaine because <laughs> blood doesn't do it for you. <laughs> yeah, it'll
1: get you. yeah, all roads um, lead to cocaine. All,
0: <laughs> all uh, speaking scans. of which, with your little uh, description of dare, I don't remember the five-step program to being a drug addict being taught <laughs> in dare. <laughs> oh,
1: I, I made a little poster about. You like, did. Um, like taking drugs and every time you take drugs you get a high but then like the low hits you and it's a new low so you gotta take another drug to get a high and the high is lower than the previous high because you're building up the uh-huh, uh-huh. i built the chart Went right on my cafeteria wall i got in the wow form. yeah so the dare program made me make this poster and gave me a reward for the comment that is made so yeah
0: i don't know well done brad thanks well done
1: I did the you know what I remember about Dare? No,
0: sure. I I remember there was a firebird painted red with Dare written across the hood. Yep, that's pretty much what I remember about there. <laughs> I remember the logo. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I have no idea what it stands um, for. Drugs. Against- I assumed that one.
1: <laughs> uh, last word last word is education
0: uh huh somehow know. I just turned to trivia on you what does dare hey, stand dude. for here's the real trivia <laughs> I got okay here
1: we go i have three trivia questions for you
2: what
0: yeah
1: it's already, already. It.
0: i'm gonna have to amp up the topics in this latter half okay. just to throw you off
2: so pay you this back is for all this. about
1: words actually okay uh, so it it's perfectly in theme this uh, is a word trivia question um, specifically the written word so a uh-huh. typical self-published author how many copies of their book, on average,
0: do they sell? sell? Eesh.
2: Yes. Eech. How we'll many? Make it two okay. Versions.
0: A typical self-published author. A typical self-published author. Yeah. So we're looking at an average. Average. Exactly. Eesh. Or is it not an average? Is that more of a median? That's probably a median, huh?
1: I don't think that's going to (laughs) help you, but (laughs) whatever.
0: Well, I'm just thinking because if we're going average, then I would think like, all right, the real big successful ones, they're making lots of copies, printing lots of copies, and then Somewhere in the middle there. But if we're so, dealing yeah, with typical self, ones. Self
1: published is the thing. So not like traditional publishing where you have like yeah, it's yeah, published yeah. by whatever. Like, I publish. Or even self published
0: people. I'm sure there are outliers of successful people. Of course. All right. All right. All right. Um, how many copies do they sell? Like total or yearly or? Uh, total. Okay.
1: For a, a book that they publish
0: 21.
1: 21 copies of their book. Yep. The, uh, the correct answer is about five. Ah, darn. So uh, you're too optimistic. Okay.
2: I was too optimistic.
1: Is, <laughs> um, according to Google Books and a study conducted by that team, how many books have been published between the years of 1440 and 2010?
0: written copies or are we including kindle books in this
1: this is published in paper form so no kindle
0: copies no Paper form to 2010
1: 2010 so from 1440 which is the year of the invention of the gutenberg printing press to the year 2010 which was the invention of something i'm sure
0: how many books have been published
1: Yes. So this is not how many copies of every book, but how many unique books were written and published in paper form from 1440 to 2010, according to Google Books and their study.
0: Hmm. I mean, that's very interesting that we start with the invention of Gutenberg Press, since the only thing that they printed to start with was the Bible, so far as I know. And the Bible had already been written before that, (laughs) Fair,
1: anyway. I mean, I don't think the Bible and its various iterations at the point in that period got more than like two dozen, right? So I don't think that's a big yeah. drop in this bucket. We just
0: printed a bunch of them now. Woo. Woo. Okay, let's see here. How many books? How this many is absurd. We're going know, right? from <laughs> stupid low numbers to stupid big numbers. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you're way too close on these anyway, so it doesn't matter. You'll get it. Uh,
2: somehow.
0: Uh, 713,327,613.
1: Once again, I'm a little optimistic. <laughs> but not, not too bad. The correct answer was 129,864,880. So hey, I were, had the
0: same number of digits. You did. Same order That's of That's not magnitude. too
1: bad. And uh, I would say you're approximately four times as much as <laughs> well, again. Maybe five on that one. Yeah, it was yeah. a little more on
0: that one. Right, like five.
1: Yeah, not bad. So, 130 million books have been
0: published. That's a lot of books.
1: It's a lot of books. I've read what a couple hundred, maybe a thousand books in my life, hmm. if we're counting like kids' books. A couple thousand.
0: I am still surprised, though, that it's slightly. I mean, that does seem a little low. I have no concept of numbers really once they get right? up into the millions. To be honest, it's like I don't know what those numbers mean anymore, or what that looks yeah, I don't
1: know like. What those mean anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's weird.
1: And of course, bringing this back to guns somehow, the United <laughs> States has like three times more guns than there have ever been books. So that's wow. cool. I mean, those guns are copies of other guns, I guess. So I don't, I don't know how many unique guns the United States has to make it a apples to oranges comparison. But yeah, at least well, you counting. could just
0: say number of books printed ever.
1: Well, that would just be stupid to count. Like, who
0: who knows that? Well, that would be an apples to apples situation, right?
1: Yeah, it would be, but I think it'd be easier to find the unique guns made rather than <laughs> all books printed. That's <laughs> crazy. Uh, all right,
0: cool. There's a trivia for you. Interesting, interesting. All right. Yeah. Well, here we're moving on now. And, you know, maybe we could work in our previous topic here of the first half here to the second half. Um, I'm going to ask you, are you uh, for or against Severus Snape? <laughs>
2: you're
1: doing a lot of like, what's your opinion, Brad? This is
0: just, Oh, yeah. You,
2: that's kind of what you, this you show's about.
1: You the facade. Now you're just going like. I'm for it. Take a, take a side. <laughs> Am I for or against him? Yes. I don't. I don't care
2: about oh. like
1: Snape. Everybody's like, "Oh, he's such a sad story." I'm like, you' a weird, creepy guy. That's
0: weird. That sounds pretty I'm against a... there, Brett.
1: Uh, 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 it's it's kind of creepy. So in the end, he does like all the stuff to protect Harry in the meanest way possible. And then he kills Dumbledore because spoilers he kills Dumbledore. Does anybody care about that anymore? <laughs>
2: I don't know. Sure. Hope not.
1: Um hope <laughs> okay, not. Right. And then, uh, <sighs> sorry, side note, spoilers. There are kids still. Not everybody was our age when those books came out. So maybe there are people who care, like I've been watching old stuff and don't want to spoil, so I don't know. Spoilers are dumb, in every way. If you don't want to be spoiled on things, don't consume media other than the thing you don't want to be spoiled on. Because I've heard way too many references to obscure things, and I'm like, hey, I was not wanting to know that. Okay, spoiler rant done. He did good stuff. He did bad stuff. I didn't care either way. He's an antagonist to Harry throughout the entire books. That made me kind of not like him because he's just being a jerk. But there are worse people in the books. There are better people in the books. He's like so perfectly average that I just don't care. Because Umbridge takes the cake for worst teacher. Oh, right? man. Easy. Easy. So that's, Snape isn't even in the spectrum on that one. Like Lockhart's like actively evil, but just prideful about it. Um, Umbridge is the, the evil incarnate. Um, on the good side, you got know, a whole bunch other good people. And I don't know. People always like love Snape or hate Snape. I just don't care. He's kind of a weird, creepy guy. now now, weird, creepy teacher.
0: I
2: don't,
0: I don't care. I, I think it's funny, though, that you you say Umbridge is worse than Snape. As a teacher, thinking about what it would be like. Having these types of colleagues, like they'd be both terrible. Obviously, I wouldn't care for either one of them. Thinking I'm, thinking as a student in their classes, I think I would much rather be an umbrage. It would be so easy to skate through her class, get out the book, read it, and do the work. Dude, I can do that all day. <laughs> you want me to take a test on the book? Done. Easy peasy going into Snape's classroom, though, and getting active antagonist antagonism directed towards you for your idiocy, for your ineptitudes. Like, holy shnikes, no wonder Neville feared Snape above all else. Talk about torture in a classroom. Not to mention okay. that it was actually down in the dungeons, wasn't it?
1: <laughs> it really was, yes. You're, you're, you're taking it out of the Harry Potter context a little right?
0: Of course. Um, that, wh- who are we to focus Harry Potter around just Harry Potter? There's a whole <laughs> world of wizards and witches out there. there. There
1: totally is. Snape picked on Gryffindor students and friends of Harry Potter. Was he mean to everybody? Absolutely not. If you were Draco, absolutely
0: you were, he was. Neville has nothing to do with, with Harry. Draco. Yeah, because he's Draco Slytherin.
1: There. Exactly. So, like, all you and he knows his dad, was, who's rich. All you have to do is cozy up to the kids that you know are teachers' pets, and they are good to go. With Snape, you know, like, we just being neutral.
0: Like, what about Neville? Bro- what did Neville ever do? He was associated with Harry Potter. No. He was dumb and that's what got his ire.
1: I guess that too. But it also tortured. That was Harry. It.
0: What's that? It
1: also tortured Harry though, a little bit. To have Neville be picked sure. on all the time. So it was a one way for Snape. But
0: Hermione oh. got picked on before any association with Harry.
1: Fair. So, from a classroom perspective, I think you're right. From an in-world perspective, you're obviously wrong. The number is but yeah, yeah, I can see that. For me, though, I was always good at not being the center of attention in those type of situations. So, I think I would have been fine with either. Sure. Probably
0: you would have been what oh now i'm curious i don't know if i know what is your house brad i am a gryffindor yeah you are a gryffindor so
1: gryffindor. You, you would have been picked on maybe.
0: maybe yep you're doomed couldn't have been in snape's class
1: <laughs> i'm just surprised that a school that big only has one teacher per
0: subject that's my real i know right like, huh. And they like can't even the keep face? a teacher for defense against the dark arts.
1: Right.
2: And and what were Snape you saying? Snape
1: is the only potions guy. Like having no redundancy in your department seems like a really bad practice. And there's not that many subjects, unless it's a crap ton of teachers. So
2: I don't
0: I
1: don't get
2: it. Well, let's see here.
0: Honestly, there can't be that many students in the school. They all fit in the Great Hall.
1: Well, the Great Hall changes size all the time in the representations. So
0: Sure. But they fit at four long tables. And you got all the teachers at the front. That seems like a fair enough uh, student to teacher ratio.
1: I feel like we got to look into it more. Yeah at Hogwarts Population Studies performed by... Well, Ministry of Magic can't be trusted to do anything, so...
0: No, they Um, can't. Anyway, all right. So that's why I was curious. Snape, to me, is a terrible person. He is not a good guy. He actively bullies students. Yeah. And, yeah... He cozies up to the people that he likes and makes life miserable for those he doesn't just because and people wanting to make him out to be some kind of hero because he did good things is narrow minded. I think sure he did good things Uh, that just makes him a person, right? Was he a good person? No. Was he an evil person? No, but he was on that spectrum. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Um so yeah, I, I really hate and the fact that like Harry names his own son after him. What? Why? Why would you do that? Six One of the
1: bravest men I ever knew or something like that, right?
0: Six years of your life he made life Miserable for you. And then, you know, solved right there with that one act. And
1: there's um, a memory too, though, wasn't there? There's a memory.
0: Well, yeah, it was the memory that he loved his mom. Oh, okay. Well, you're cool then. What?
1: He was the ultimate double agent that only played Which, one side.
0: Good for him. But. He was a terrible person. (laughs) You know, you've got like the case of uh, Sirius and uh, James and Lupin. Like he he has the memory of them picking on uh, Sirius when he's a kid. They weren't great kids, but also they were in school and people tend to be dumb in school. They outgrew it. Sirius maybe less so. Lupin certainly did. And it seems like James did as well. Uh, Snape didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was the same character that he was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I want to go to the uh,
2: year
1: one, the Quidditch match with Quirrell. Right? Uh-huh. Quirrell's trying to kill Harry using his yep. magic. And uh, Snape's trying to save Harry using the magic, and people like it's part of the, the the stream of like ah Snape's the good guy, he's trying to save Harry. It's like well, I think trying to save your student from an obvious magical attack is like bare, bare minimum, like yes. teacher responsibility. And I'm surprised yes. that not every like everybody else, including I think Dumbledore's in the audience also did an attempt to help you know Snape is the only one ever mentioned that student is being magically attacked in front of an <laughs> audience maybe i should do something <laughs> about that
0: well right. mutter like, the counter curse
1: i i don't think that's a uh you know 10 points or southern at that point so nah, you did your job
0: yep
2: good good,
1: good job and as a teacher i'm assuming if Somebody is being magically attacked, and you had magical powers, you would try to magically protect them. I feel like that's safe to assume that you would do.
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't know
1: how to ask that question it's a straight face. But... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So I, I really dislike yeah. that Snape is somehow glorified in his last moments. Um, even, like in the fandom. And in the books and the films, like he's just suddenly this great guy. Oh, Snape. Wow. All the things that you did. Sure, he did lots of hard things. Sure, he did brave things. Uh, Cozying up to Voldemort with constant fear of death. That's pretty intense. That's hard. Good work, man. But you're still also not a great guy. You can do good things and not be a good person. <laughs> as uh, terrible as all of the Pirates of the Caribbean films are after the first one, the first one has a really fantastic line that I think about a lot. It's, actually, it's a dialogue. There's, um, so we've got, what's his name? Jack Sparrow jumps off the ship after he's being questioned on the Interceptor for the first time. He jumps in the water to save Elizabeth after she passes out from her corset. He pulls her on the deck, cuts the corset, gets her breathing again. And uh, then Commodore Norrington comes out and arrests him. Elizabeth says something to the effect of, Commodore, I really must protest. This man saved my life. And Commodore Norrington jumps in and says, one good deed is not enough to redeem a man from a lifetime of wickedness. It's like, ooh, that's pretty good. But then Jack Sparrow comes in with another zinger, though it seems enough to condemn him. That's a rough argument between two sides. And I have not figured out how to answer it uh, adequately. Because on the one side, yeah, he's done terrible things. He's a pirate. He's stolen uh, people's stuff, probably ruined the livelihoods of a bunch of people, probably killed a bunch of people, too. We don't know all that happened with Jack Sparrow prior to Pirates of the Caribbean. But pirates, as much as we glorify them in our media, pirates are not good people. <laughs> and... Uh, So he did all this bad stuff and he does one good thing where he saves this girl from drowning. That's nice. So let's arrest you now. Mm -hmm. Oh. But then also he didn't have to do that one good thing and he did put himself at your mercy in order to do that good thing. Ah. How do you parse you see, that out? It's, the, uh, it's
1: the, the, the grand scale concept, right? Like, you do enough good stuff. It bounces out from bad stuff. Right? Like, uh, I, I don't know. You're, you're going around poor neighborhoods, taking food from children, right? And... keep a very careful tally of like I stole 20 kids lunches today from a poor neighborhood then you go home and you donate 20 meals worth to those little feed kids in poor areas of the world you know only one dollar gives one meal to one child whatever it is and he he counts it out and he's like oh I'm going to do 21 children's worth of donations there you go save the day and uh Cops kick down his door and arrest him for stealing kids' food, right? Just because he did a good thing doesn't mean he didn't do a bad thing. It that The good thing, in order to make the bad thing go away, needs to be in restitution for the bad thing. That's the only way it works. Mm. Otherwise, it's not like a point system. Like, uh, uh, you kicked that dog... You now owe a different dog two hundred pets. You know <laughs> that, that, that balances it. <laughs> no, you have to go back to the original dog that you kicked. Apologize, make you feel better. Give a treat. You would have never do it again. Those are the things that make that better. Mm. And now people might say, "So well, for all the misery somebody, that's." how do you fix that and the answer is you can't you can't do that you can't fix killing somebody because it's, it's a permanent state now so in that case I don't know it's not my job to tell you how to make that right <laughs> so I, I don't know
0: so for all the misery that Snape caused Harry was his, were his actions restitution for that? that he spent most of most of his time saving Harry
1: I don't think they're comparable (laughs) I don't know like if you're a lifeguard at a pool and you're just bullying some kid over and over and over again and that kid starts to drown and you save the kid so, you know, does that make up for it? He's like, no, you're a terrible lifeguard. Yeah, you, you saved the kid. You, you like hit the bare minimum of doing your job, but you made that life life for that kid miserable. to like, do dear teach teacher point. Uh, I, I think it's. I don't want to say bare minimum. I think Snape went above and beyond in a couple of things, but
0: it it doesn't forgive everything else. Mm-hmm. So no, it wasn't restitution. Yeah, it wasn't restitution. I'm sorry for being
1: mean to you this
2: whole
0: time. It was all an act.
1: I actually loved you the whole time, there. You're my favorite too. I loved your mom anyway. Whew. That stuff yeah, she was. I loved your mom and hated your dad for it. I hate you because you remind me of your mom. But, you know, that's... Who so married your
0: dad. <laughs> bad. That's cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh all right so since we're on harry potter um umbridge you say is evil incarnate is she on your scale worse than voldemort so I'm probably you no know,
1: people say that and they're saying that because of how. Kind of tie this back to our first topic. It's all about the lies. It's all about the facade. Right? Like, Voldemort was never hiding his intentions. You know? Mm. But Umbridge was sickly sweet. And that is worse. You know, like, corrupting something that's posing as good it seems worse to us than just bad. I think. But no, Voldemort was worse. He was just fundamentally worse. He was a mass murderer. He, like, of wantonly kills people. <laughs> yeah. He, like, <laughs> he's the mass murderiest of all the people in those books. Umbridge, I think, does kill a couple people. And she becomes like a really annoying evil turncoat bureaucrat. Nightmare, but it's just frustrating because she's smiling at you in a sweet way while doing it and saying it's for your own good the whole time. While Voldemort's screaming at you, I'm trying to kill you. One is easier to reconcile in your mind, the other one is
0: harder, but almost still worse.
2: Okay.
0: Which of the seven books is your favorite?
1: My answer was the third for a long time. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna change change that to I don't know anymore. It's been too long since I've read. My current taste in books will have changed it probably. Well maybe it was the third. Oh, I got other things I'm gonna read right now. Like the Way of Kings for the fifth time. So um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> for the fifth time that's obscene brad that book is so long i'm i'm reading it again as
1: for your parents
2: oh uh, are you still do doing it. that
1: yeah i'm halfway through i've written a page per chapter in my little notebook dude that was christmas yeah last I'll year i'll make it <laughs> you'll make what you missed it i'll make it by christmas <laughs> you missed it by seven months don't worry about it. I'm still in it. I said I'd do it. I'm gonna do it. Sticking to okay, it.
2: Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm uh-huh, about halfway uh-huh. through. Yeah. Okay.
1: Anyway, yeah, I'll be reading them again. But I like the third because I really like the relationship between Sirius and Harry. Um, I just really love the dynamic a lot, and uh, mm. it was just a bright spot for Harry and like a positive male figure in his life. That's cool. He didn't have any like parents. He had the Weasleys. A little bit, um, here uh-huh. and there. But like, this was like, you know, his godfather here, really connecting and bonding with Harry, and I really, 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 really enjoyed those moments. Um, and things started to ramp up with the action a little bit. There were werewolves. There's time travel. There was crazy stuff happening. Um, yeah, it was really fun. We really enjoyed it. So, my like, third was my like, favorite. Last time I made an
0: opinion about Harry Potter books. That is. Also, my favorite book. There you go. Yeah. And different reasons, though. I mean, yes, I liked Sirius as a uh, parental figure in his life. Um, I think I probably liked Lupin more as a, that kind Lupin of a figure. figure because because he was there where Sirius wasn't. And that's actually what I liked about it is that this is the only book out of all seven where Voldemort isn't the villain. Hmm. Serious Black is. Until he's not, which is the big twist, right? So there's much more setup and, like, exciting storytelling going on here sure. um, yeah. that I I quite enjoyed. We had this new character who entered the scene, and you're wondering what's going on. You have this Lupin guy and you find out that Lupin and Sirius were buddies, and then there was that betrayal. And, oh, no, Lupin's actually friends with Sirius, and this is bad. No, Peter Pettigrew was in on it. And there's just so many puzzle pieces that are now fitting together in a really cool way that uh, you don't find in a lot of the other books. You get some no. of that with Barty Crouch Jr. in the fourth one, Um but I don't think it works quite as well. I think the third one is the pinnacle of puzzle pieces fitting together without Voldemort as the villain. And yeah, that's fun.
1: The twist in book four is like, oh, Mad-Eye Moody's Barney Crouch the whole time. Well, like, we were introduced to Mad-Eye Moody already compromised. And so it yes. makes the... There was no like, the discovery, I, difficult. I, I could have seen it coming, right? Like, there's no setup for it. He was already compromised before I met him, which makes sense in like, real life, but it doesn't make sense in startup storytelling.
0: AF, storytelling. Yeah. I mean, there are a few clues here and there that are given. Um, they, JK Rowling, I have to give credit, she does give setup. This That might not have been one of her better ones, but she does give it. There's like that whole sequence of uh, <sighs> where Harry's got the egg, right? Wandering around the castle at night and gets his foot stuck in the missing stair. And he drops the egg and it screams. And then uh, they have like the little people talking in the alleyway not the alleyway, but stairway, and they're all thinking Harry Potter's around somewhere. You got Snape, Filch, and Mad-Eye, I think, are all there. Um, And Mad-Eye talks to him. And he says, you know, I don't think that map uh, is working, or at least, uh, well, no, that was in the third one. He says he's not sure if it's working, but he was really confused because he saw Barty Crouch Jr. Or saw Barty Crouch in there. He's like, oh, Barty Crouch is here, huh? And so that was one of the weird... Like, something's amiss at Hogwarts
2: mm-hmm.
0: in that Barty Crouch, Crouch is on the grounds, and he's in Snape's office. True. Yeah, so there are mm-hmm. there, there some setups along the way, but right. personality-wise, you can't figure it out. Like, you can't say, oh, that's not the way Mad-Eye would have behaved. Yeah,
2: nobody would know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so, yeah. so I've... Yeah. I've, I've I feel like she did a fairly good job of trying to set up as best you could. Um, but the third uh, third book has some really cool setup with clues, the missing finger, um, yeah, and all of them as Animagus, mm-hmm. Animagi. Magi. I don't know how you say all that, but anyway yeah that they were all buddies together and they all learned how to do that and yeah it was, it was pretty cool i enjoyed it mm-hmm. does the time travel work no no it doesn't whenever <laughs> you introduce time travel into anything it never works can't happen yep.
1: doesn't work and uh but the weird implications you can't really falter group being scabbers the whole time super creepy <laughs>
0: My, my son, <laughs> my oldest son, he is into that and catches on to that pretty quick. Uh, it's like uh, we were just listening to the third book right at the beginning. We went to a uh, camp out,
2: <clears throat>
0: and it said that Scabbers was hiding in his front pocket, his pet Scabbers. And he's like, you mean his pet man? <laughs> he's like that's creepy (laughs) (laughs) Creepy. like yes yes it is creepy and then we heard somewhere oh yeah because he takes uh scabbers who doesn't look well um he takes him to um the pet place in diagon alley to get some advice on how to make him look better feel better and uh, says, "Oh well, he's been in the family for years. You know, his purse, he's Percy's rat before he was mine." And then Shaw was like, "He's been through more than one person. <laughs> so why
2: is he uh-huh. doing
1: this? I don't know why he did
2: that. Yeah, I don't know. Just
0: he's dead. Can't come out. I don't know.
2: So, so he was
0: always Yeah."
1: Forever? Like, how about you just go somewhere else? Like, there's other places besides Britain in this planet. I don't, I don't understand.
0: I'm gonna just hang out and eat rat food all the time. It nice. You can't even credit him with the long game because there's no way he would have figured out that he would have seen Harry.
1: Yeah, there's no so, way. So, Percy to Ron, then Ron will meet Harry on the train and they'll become fast friends and it's perfect. Sit yeah, back for fifteen no. years. Don't even worry about it, or how long it was. 13? You know,
0: as as much as I love the Harry Potter stories, yeah. if you look at them with too scrutinous of an eye, it's they start to fall apart a little bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they, they do, And yeah. Yeah, unlike The Way of Kings, which is a perfect book. Is no, so,
2: see,
0: we've good. talked about this. We've talked about it this. Did, Harry but, Potter.
2: Harry Potter has got good
0: storytelling. Way of Kings has got not good storytelling.
1: It's got amazing (laughs) storytelling. It's fantastic.
0: It does in some respects. Every respect. (laughs) No, not every respect. All right. So here's the last one that I wanted to. Since we went with the best of Harry Potter. Sure. we're, We're in this... Um, this fantasy trend here and it gets brought up an awful lot the Lord of the Rings trilogy comes up almost every episode
1: (laughs) (laughs) it does Um, I've never read them
0: so it's okay you don't have to read the books because this is one of the rare exceptions where the movies are better than the books by a long shot come at me all I'm sticking by that. I have read the books. Lord of the Rings trilogy. Out of the three, we're not going to include The Hobbit in this because I know how you feel about The Hobbit. The original Lord of the Rings trilogy, which is the best of the films?
1: I don't consider them three films. (laughs) So there you go. I consider them one nine hour movie. Wrong answer. (laughs) Um, It's too long of a movie i don't care the world can't define what's a movie to me yeah it's all part of the same story arc sure yeah it's like harry pot sorry the harry potter movies. let's go star wars star wars movies they have like a very clear beginning middle and end like this is the story of this movie and yes, there are carryover characters, but it's a brand new set of problems, a brand new set, whatever, every movie. That's how they work. Lord of the Rings, there's one setup in the first movie. They're continuing that same setup. And then there's the conclusion of that same setup. You know, it's one movie.
0: What story No, no, no. It's more what? like a television show. If you're going to go that route, they've got the long game and the short game. They have the rise of the action and then the Peter off. They got the rise of the action and then the Peter off. Then they got the rise of the action. It's the same for everyone. It wouldn't work as a film if they didn't do that. Nobody'd see it. Sure, It's got to be, I, like, it has to stand on its own two legs.
1: Uh, yes. And, and no. Cause like when I, uh, I watched the first one with my mom, I remember this. Oh, I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it at home and uh, I was devastated. Devastated at the end of the movie because we had just lost Gandalf, we had just lost uh, Boromir, and I'm like, uh, I, I don't know on. if I can go on. And I'm like, this this is just too hard. Like this is so cool, but I I was str- I was a young kid at the time. My mom was like, well, does it help you feel better? Nobody else dies. And I'm like, well, I don't know if that makes me feel better. It's it feel weird, <laughs> but now I know that. But it did make me feel a little better, and I kept watching him. And uh, it, it felt so incomplete, right? Like, it just walked off into the forest.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What the heck? What are where, where you guys doing? Where are you go? Um and, and there were so many, like, cliffhangers, because you had Merry Pippin being kidnapped. You had Samuel um, loss and Aragorn, Chesa, all other things. But the main point of the... The movie was still out there. The ring was not delivered to Mount Doom. I was not satisfied. And so the story was not complete. Therefore it's one movie. Right.
0: The overarching story was not complete.
1: Yeah. And but the overarching the story fellowship is powerful was powerful enough was to complete. Take those three movies and make them one movie
0: in my heart and soul. The fellowship was created, the fellowship fell. There's your arc.
1: There is an arc, but it's
0: not the arc. I and mean, the arc is more... Right. I than know, that. and I explained that. Television show, same yeah. status. does the same thing. No, it's just one nine-hour movie. It's fine.
1: Anyway, if I had to pick which chunk, since, you know, the publishers split the Lord of the Rings into three books and they decided to make the movies into three whatever movies, whatever. Which was the best? <laughs> um, I love Minas Tirith so much. I'm going to go with The Return of the King. I like the conclusion a ton. Um, the Battle of Minas Tirith, I think, is just epic in scale. Like, it's just sweeping and huge. I love the spectacle of it. Um, I love the... all of the characters coming um, full circle or finishing their arcs. You know, Aragorn becoming king. You have Thamir, um finding his self-worth. You have Merry and Pippin becoming warriors. You have... Um, like everybody finishes their conclusion so satisfyingly, and everybody makes fun of that movie for like having too many endings and the extended versions too, too many endings. I'm like, yeah, bring it on. Give me more endings. Um so I feel like people don't do endings well. And this one was like, we'll give you all the endings screen, <laughs> And I don't mind any of them. Right? Gets oh cool Sam gets back he gets married has kids that's great Virgo gets to go off to the Gray Havens the elves? sure why not like I'll, I'll watch all of those things like all of these stories come to come to an end like that's that's awesome because there's so many characters we cared about to uh compare yeah. this to Indi- Indiana Jones at the end of his trilogy he rides off into the sunset you know with. Uh, Asala next to him and whatever and his dad. Like Indiana Jones is the only character you really care about, knowing what happens next, right? He's riding after the sunset to have more adventures. That's it. Because Indiana Jones, it's about one character, and we
0: get the conclusion for him. But it's good to know he never met interdimensional beings. It's good to know that. that <laughs> the, the,
1: the, indiana jones 5 coming up (laughs) looking forward to it oh boy (laughs) anyway if there were more characters we cared about like if marion was a recurring character over all three movies we would want to know what happens to her if she's not there right like that becomes now a necessity how do you know what happens to marion what happens to short round what happens to whatever if they were recurring characters but they're not it's just Indy. Indy's the recurring character. We know what happens to in Indy. That's fine. Lord of the Rings, we have a cast of nine characters that, it, that gets even bigger. We want to know what happens, and that's great. Way of Kings, sorry, Way of Kings and keeps coming back. The Return of the King um, does all of that excellently. And yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, it does. I think I agree.
1: I love it. I love it so much. And so much friendship brotherhood and sacrifice in that movie and those things all speak to me so (laughs) Uh
2: uh-huh
0: yeah well i think uh a lot of people would agree with you after all it did get nominated for you know awards and stuff like that won awards yeah which is kind of unheard of for a fantasy film (laughs) but uh yeah man i i'm an oddball and on this one, very few people agree with me, but I'm a I'm a Two Towers fan.
1: I've heard that a lot, actually. Um, really? Oh, I, think my, I think my I think my numbers are growing. Sister
0: is on on this camp. Two oh, Towers. good. See, yeah. there are there are more of us out there. <laughs> Most people I talk to like either the first or the third. They don't. Like the second one, if you're gonna go for the full overarching story, why would you like the smack dab in the middle? You know, a lot of people Sorry. like the beginning. Oh, it starts off good, it ends great, but right in the middle of it all, why? What? Uh, I really enjoyed that one though because there is some really good uh, storytelling in there with the tension, the action that's occurring. This is the first time where you get some real serious action. Uh, oh, yeah. Helms Deep was awesome. I remember having like PTSD coming out of the theater after watching that (laughs) battle sequence. I was like shaking (laughs) because it was just so (laughs) too much, too much going, just overload of, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It was so good. It's
1: cramped. It's dark. It's dreary and it's personal, right? is scale, but this is like, yes, couple hundred dudes versus 10,000 and you're just, it's a perfect scene. Yeah.
0: Yes. And because of that, I, I really like Helm's deep as a battle way better than Minas Tirith. I felt like it lost a little bit becoming too grand, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: you know, it was, it was already a big battle. Hordes of people coming at it in this alley of a Valley, you know, and, uh, Just, man, really cool with the setup and Helm's Deep as a fortress. It's just awesome. Like, that'd be a sweet place to defend. I don't know why they have a drain that you could just blow up, but that's altogether different. And that whole sequence with the charging down the mountainside, with the sun rising, that's so cool. So cool. It's a good moment. Yeah, I was actually kind of angry about Frodo and Sam, you know, how you'd have like the really intense fighting sequence and then it breaks off to go see what's going on with Frodo and Sam. You're like, oh, come on, guys. No one cares about you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Get back down, Steve.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're walking. We get it. Uh,
0: But this is also where Smeagol and um, Gollum come out. For the first time, too. And holy smokes. Amazing stuff done there from the acting, from the depiction of him, and from, like, having really complicated feelings toward a character. Yeah. Because you hate him, but also, man, you feel terrible for him. Um, That one argument that he has with himself about them, and he tells him to go away, tells Gollum to go away, and Smeagol's all happy He's like, just pleased to serve Frodo and do everything for Frodo and Frodo wanting to help him out because, Oh, well, because he's like, I have to assume the best in Smeagol that he can come back because if there's not hope for him, is there any hope for me? Yeah. Like these are some really intense personal and real feelings which are tough to explore. Uh, and yeah, from a storytelling standpoint, fantastic stuff in that movie, I thought.
2: Oh
0: okay. yeah. yeah, good, good stuff. I, uh, I mean, that's why it's so hard to pick one because they're all, you know, <laughs> yeah, they're all really good. I had a friend yeah. though who was like outraged that the elves came to Elm's Deep to help Rohan fight off the uh, the Urukai. I thought it was way better that the elves came (laughs) to fight Rohan, (laughs) to fight with Rohan and fight off the Urukai. You know when uh, Haldir comes in, Mm -hmm. and he's like, "An alliance once existed between men and elves. We fought and died beside each other. We come to honor that allegiance." And you're like, "Yeah, you did." You guys are awesome. <laughs> and for, for a filmmaking company that doesn't really have a whole lot of surprises that it can pull out because it has a fandom that's read the books, it's like, whoop, we're pulling out a surprise here. You didn't see that coming, and isn't it that much better because of it? And yeah, if you stand like back to actually look at it, I think it's much better.
1: Yeah. I, I totally agree. And I, I haven't read the books, like I said, so... It, it doesn't change anything, and like the outcome, no, it's the outcome was the same. Yeah, outcome's the same. No, it just added a spice of things are starting. Like people are starting to honor their alliances, and it plants that seed for King Theoden for when Gondor calls for aid later. Like it all fits the storytelling a little better, which is yeah. Really cool. Yeah, and all of the elves die, yep. and pretty much all the people do too. So you know, it's. It doesn't particularly matter. It just adds that moment to be a little bit cooler because there's there's no need for How anywhere else in the movies
0: or in the books that I'm aware of. No. 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 So, that's cool. No, I, I thought it only enhanced the story. Yeah. Just like in The Hobbit, you know, as much as people don't care for those, and no, they're not on the same level as Lord of the Rings, but uh, the. Introduction of Tariel. Oh man. As much as people hated her, she was necessary. Golly. A little, a little too much bromance. You only <laughs> take so long of that. You needed a little a little spice. And, uh, a spice she to the, it, well. to the
1: short, hairy men and the short, <laughs> hairy. Seriously.
2: Let's
0: look at something else for a little bit. Yeah. with that in mind rings of power coming out soon i'm excited for it i hope it's good the last trailer looked pretty entertaining
1: um it really did um our initial impressions
0: were not good from the first trailer if i remember correctly no i don't think they were but But it it looked much better better. this round yeah
1: yeah yeah every single one
0: um
1: you sent me a, a meme of the, the guy who looks like Eminem being Sauron. I, I don't believe that is the case. If it is Probably the case, not. I feel like Amazon would make it not the case
0: before the show. <laughs> because of that meme, <laughs> just to be
1: safe, if it is the case. But um, I mean, everything else besides that one particular character looked really cool. And I think yeah. that character has scarier moments. I think it's a, a poor trailer shot, maybe. I don't know.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And you know, I don't know who that character is. The by the way, we're we're talking about the uh, shaved-headed elf-looking person. Um, very pale. Yeah, very blonde. pale funky doodle eyebrows that kind of go up, but they're also blonde. Anyway, uh, we just get this one shot of them looking very menacing in the direction of the camera ish. And that person seems too obviously, uh, too obviously conniving. Got a, grudge you know too easily recognizable as someone with bad intentions i feel like if you're going to go with the biggest baddie you're gonna have to do better than that he seems too much more like um like oh shoot what's his name worm tongue grima worm tongue right like Mm -hmm. he's that guy that's off in the shadows with the evil grin and you just know okay bad guy uh photo yeah. has a really good line from fellowship of the ring when they're talking about aragorn when they first meet him and he says i feel like <laughs> which turned out to be wrong by the way <laughs> he says i feel like a servant of the dark would look fairer but feel fouler well throughout the whole series they all look pretty dang foul and feel pretty dang foul. But there's There's nobody who looks good is actually bad. Yeah, that's funny. (laughs) But But Sauron, I think, would fit that description. After all, he's the one who duped everybody, right? Yeah. He's he's gonna have to look fair, but also actually be foul. So
2: I I sure hope uh, that's not Sauron.
1: I really hope so too, and like I I want Sauron to be, from what I understand, early time Sauron was like a shapeshifter, I think. Uh Uh-huh. And and so it would be really neat to have Sauron be multiple characters, multiple names, multiple whatever. Um, And then have a reveal later. That it was was all him, you know. Yeah. So cool. Because we he's not going to be showing up as like the 10 foot tall menacing wall of black steel, you know, like you did the prologue to the first movie. Like it's not what Sauron looks like at this moment, you know, like, <laughs> like, oh yes, there's Sauron walking down the street. He's going to look very, very different. And I'm excited to see what that looks like. And uh, I do want to say a lot of people on the internet are very upset by the trailers still, no matter what the trailers yeah contain. Um, some people are cautiously optimistic, and some people are um, very, very excited for it. I, I feel like this is... <sighs> We're in a weird spot with media. So I think <laughs> appreciating, appreciating art takes a lot of time, and I would consider filmmaking and TV making an art.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: But people also consider it, oh, this is popcorn entertainment. You know, this is something you just turn your brain off and you just enjoy it. Or, don't think about it too hard or whatever. Like, that's also the expectation for movies sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. just don't think about it too hard. And, like, how, how do you navigate this as, like, a consumer? Like, this is the appropriate reaction for this thing. Like... Do, do I approach watching Top Gun the same as like a, a, a musical, like Sound of Music? Like no, I'm coming in totally different, with different expectations for these things. But a, a Lord of the Rings TV show I have expectations for that are based on the movies that I consider to be the best movie trilogy of all time. Will this TV show match that? No, it, it won't. It won't do it. I cannot expect it to do it. I'm just happy to get more Lord of the Rings adjacent stuff. That seems kind of cool. Agreed. I like the Hobbits for being more stuff. Did they hold a candle to Lord of the Rings? No, and I don't like them because of that. Because like they're trying to be kind of like the movies. They use the same sets in some circumstances. They're messing up the lore of the movies because they're a prologue to the movies. But this is a TV show set so far in the past that it doesn't matter anymore unless they do something stupid like gladriel <laughs> dies or something so no she didn't because she's she's alive later you see like that's like you know like those things but beyond things like that it doesn't matter because we're we're in a different place entirely and you still have references and it wasn't whatever, written it wasn't written We're somewhere else often whatever and i'm going to enjoy all the bits that i enjoy and i'm not going to be a lore purist of being like well actually according to the notes written on the back of a napkin that was you know transcribed by Tolkien's <laughs> child that says this page in the cimmerillion if you read it backwards really tells the true events of that certain i, I don't care i don't i don't care about that I want it to be entertaining and true to the world that I know, which
0: is from the movies. So I hope it's that. Agreed. Cautiously optimistic. It looks like it has some cool stuff in it at the very least, you know, and that's one thing I think you and I as very, very amateur filmmakers (laughs) by ourselves, (laughs) um, and no, you will never see what we make unless we suddenly get a lot better at what we do. Um, As amateur, amateur, amateur filmmakers and um, critics, I guess, of films, also amateur in doing so, but we're, we're critics all the same. I think we have an appreciation for good work where good work is done, even if the entire result was not yeah. a good result, yeah. and I can already tell in this film, man, there's some really astounding work going on from costumes, set design, and even CG. Some of the, some of the stuff looks fantastic, and I'm excited to see yeah. what they do with yeah. it in in greater detail. So, at least in that nature, should be fun yeah. to watch yeah. just to get an appreciation oh, yeah. for some really good work. Done, even if the story isn't
2: great.
1: So, yeah, I've heard people say it's, it's all about the story, it's, like, it's not. It's not. Lord of the Rings has never been about the story, and I'm sorry to say that, but it, it's a it's a journey. Get from point A to point B. You hear the misadventures along the way. It's like, well, what a convoluted plot, you know? Like, no, it's really <laughs> simple. Like the, the excitement from the story comes from the character work you get to love these characters and these characters experiencing all these different things, the the, the plot or like the overarching story again, it's point at point B before the big bad guy comes and kills everybody. It's like okay, that's not yeah. super complicated. Um, it, it's, it's like <laughs> Star Wars, you know, <laughs> stop the Death Star <laughs> from launching, stop the bad guy from getting the ring so he can be all powerful. Like it's very similar in concept. Where you gotta stop the big bad thing from happening, and it's real dangerous, and you gotta do it. It's gonna be real hard. And yeah, okay,
2: sure. Yeah.
1: But the character work is so great. So, what's the, the thing from Rings of Power? Well, it's about the Rings of Power. I'm assuming the forging of them, the corrupting of yeah. them, and uh, that, that's it. The big Big picture but i'm assuming there's a lot of politicking there's a lot of distrust there's a lot of um really cool like character interactions the dwarves are at their peak it looks like which would be kind of cool to see not in ruins all the time so yeah it's gonna be some really cool stuff like and even if the story isn't super complicated or good still could be really cool i agree
0: should be cool so september coming up quick here. Yeah. Well, let's we'll see how it turns out. Well, we are getting to that time we have <laughs> traversed language and its effects in the real world whether or not it's harmful. We have traversed books and their printing as well as numbers of guns, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> we have also talked about harry potter with snape and uh which book is the best obviously it's the third book you're welcome um and the lord of the Rings is a trilogy with the rings of power coming up so this has been an episode that has been much more hawks and handsaw-y than most i suppose in <laughs> the uh, amount of topics that we have covered um if you've made it this far Congratulations. We don't have a medal for you,
2: but imagine that we do. And we'll see you next time.